On today's episode of Brody and the Beard, Mo and I share our favorite Chris Paul stories, and we go back and revisit Game 5, Western Conference Finals, Warriors, Rockets. Let's go. Today's episode of Brody and the Beard is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making working from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Biggie Velvet. Mo Dackel. This guy's amazing. Welcome to a new episode of Brody and the Beard. I'm your host, Mo DeKeel, and with me, as always, the man with a thousand nicknames, but really about six, Kelly Eco, Swag Champ, everything you could think of, Turtleneck Shorty, all that stuff. Beat writer for The Athletic, covers the Houston Rockets. Of course, we got Sasha Shaw on the ones and twos. I'm pretty excited for this episode, Kelly. This is going to be a fun one. We're going to look back at Chris Paul's run with the Rockets, all the fun stuff that happened, and I mean, you and I both have had actual experiences with him. I, me with the Clippers and you covering him with the Rockets, man. And I want to go into your first, you know, kind of your first interaction with him. My story with Chris is actually the first time I ever actually saw him in Houston. And they say first impressions, they mean a lot. And this is, this is some impression. But to give a bit of background, this was all on CP3 Day. Now, for those who don't know what CP3 Day was, it was a citywide event commemorating the trade that actually brought Chris to Houston. I can't believe these dudes. It just cracks me up when there's a (laughs) CP3 day. Sorry. (laughs) And and, um, yeah, it was crazy, but it was a day which signified, you know, the Rockets finally getting a a suitable backcourt partner for James Harden. You know, all respect to Patrick Beverly, Ty Lawson, Jason Terry. But it was an event that was uh, supposed to be live streamed on ESPN, the Rockets website, other platforms, uh, it was a, thousands of fans were in the arena, outside the arena, lined up outside. There was a podium with Calvin Murphy on it. He was going to speak with Chris. Under the whole, It was a whole experience. The only other time there had been this kind of extravaganza was when Dwight signed in 2013. The media are seated in the press conference room, you know, kind of chilling, waiting for Chris Paul to get there. It was actually the first time I was in that, that part of the arena as a member of the media. I was, so this was, your, was this was this your first year? Yeah, yeah, it was my first year. It was I was still an nice. intern. Yeah, it was okay. it was crazy. I was supposed to tag along with Dolores. Shout out to Dolores. I was supposed to tag along just kind of for the experience. So here I am, uh, an intern. I'm surrounded by the media elite. You know, Fagan, McMahon, Adrian Wojnarowski, etc. Real head honchos, and I can't even call them uh, peers because I'm still an intern, and these guys are you know respected individuals in their fields. Eventually, Chris walks in with his family and his team. Uh, he's uh, Behind him is Daryl and Mike D'Antoni, and the three of them sit on the podium. But there's a certain aura about Chris. Like, well, I don't know. I think it's a banana boat thing, but him, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Carmen, it's NBA royalty. So 
when they walk, it's like almost presidential. Daryl uh, starts out by kind of thanking the organization and the Rockets for allowing a move of this nature. Uh, he uses the word historic a bunch of times. No one in history or recent NBA history had, had ever put two all NBA guards together in a backcourt that combined that level of, you know, volume, usage, scoring, and passing. So it was it was a big thing for, you know, for the Rockets. But Chris spoke briefly. He thanked the the Clippers for six years of service and kind of talked about the community and the, the kids that he worked with and everything. And then the floors opened up for questions. Most of them were cookie cutter questions, standard interview type stuff. And you could kind of tell that nobody wanted to be a smart aleck or, or possibly say something controversial or try and trip him up because Chris is that kind of guy who was kind of intimidating and, and he might, you know, get on you or, or it was, it was kind of awkward. The opening minutes of that conference were kind of awkward. And then you have me. Uh, I'm sitting somewhere towards the back of the room. I'm listening. I'm watching, observing. And as a young person in the media, you know, especially if you're not established, it can be kind of intimidating, like these press conferences. I, I had this internal battle of, do I speak up and ask a question? Do I put my foot down? Or do I just sit tight and, and watch the show? I'm pretty sure 100% of people in that room had no idea who I was at the time. I kind of wanted to lay low, but... For those who are in the media that want to ask questions at this time, it's like, if you do want to ask a question, you have to get it at the exact time. There's a moment, there's no exact science to it, but it's a matter of timing and precision. It's, it's almost like a quarterback, you know, in the pocket against a cover two scheme. There's going to be a window of opportunity to, to drop the ball in, but you have to do it at the right moment in time where you're going to mess it up. So somehow I gathered the courage to, to ask Chris, about his time with the Clippers and his chemistry and pick and roll with uh, DeAndre Jordan. But that was how it was in my head. In reality, I said, Chris, during your time with the Lakers, and I paused because I knew I screwed up. Oh. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was thinking, because you remember, he was technically a Laker for a couple of hours before the trade got avoided. So... Um, technically wasn't because he ne the trade was never oh, official. Yeah, yeah. So but, technically never <laughs> was, but okay. But, um, and in that moment, Chris could have easily, you know, put me in my place or, or just put it in a real awkward situation for me. But he didn't. He turned it into a joke. He was like, the who? Man, I was on with them for a couple of hours. And then the minute <laughs> he said that, the entire room just burst into laughter, you know. With the Lakers, you and DeAndre. With who? <laughs> The cameraman, Daryl Morey, D'Antoni, Chris started laughing, the media members, and, and it, more importantly, it was like a weight was off the collective room. It was like, almost like I broke the ice. And, and from that moment on, you know, Chris was relaxed. He answered my question. He told me that him and Clint had actually spent time in Vegas, you know, after the trade, just to kind of get the, the initial stages of the relationship going and the chemistry going in. It eventually turned Capella to a $90 million man. So the more of the story is, it kind of set the tone for, you know, my two years with Chris, just being a guy, a great guy to be around, who obviously was always business first. He was, it was more than basketball to him. And he taught me a lot of things about myself, you know, just being African-American, you know, dealing with the struggles of that, being a young guy in the media coming up. And Chris and I always didn't talk basketball. It was always life or 
And a lot of times he would just listen. You know, being someone that, that's that busy, obviously you have to pick and choose your spots. But Chris was always so accommodating in that sense. And, and I really appreciate him for that. First off, I love the fact that you ended up just calling him a Laker at first and <laughs> doing all that stuff. I mean, we there's so much coming from the Clippers of, you know, being the little brother that that's, that's actually pretty comical that you did that. Yeah, no, like my experiences with Chris were immediately after that trade got vetoed and he ended up coming to the Clippers. My very first experience with him was on the court. And so to just kind of give a quick background, we had just picked up Chauncey Billups off of waivers. He had got amnestied in New York. He really wasn't happy about that. Uh, we finally convinced him to come in for a workout. It's his first workout. It's Chris Paul's first workout. And I'm probably back with the Clippers for about a week at this point. I had been in San Antonio the years before. And this is the new coaching staff. So I don't know any of the coaches at this point. And I'm just kind of finding my way through and and trying to see where I fit in with the staff. And we start doing a, a normal workout, right? And it's me. It's our head video coordinator, Raman Spasado, is setting screens. I'm guarding these guys and, and trying to run through the screen. And there's also coach Tim Gergerich, who most people probably don't know the name, but he's like the godfather of player development. He's an old, old guy at this point. And, you know, he he's still out there. He still works with the guys. He still contests shots and things like that. But we always kind of like, no, Gerg's gonna gonna fade. And so we start, him and I start trading turns of who's guarding guys as we go and, and things like that. And then I notice that I'm no longer trading with Gerg. I'm now guarding Chris and then Chauncey. And I'm just getting run through screens. You know, first we're doing off ball stuff. Then we're doing pick and roll stuff. Then it gets interesting, Kelly, because then we go into like one-on-one. And when we mean one-on-one, like I never get the ball, obviously, right? It's, <laughs> Chris is going, Chris is Chris is coming attacking me from the top of the key. Then after that possession, it's Chauncey. And I'm just going straight back and forth. No break for me while these guys get a, get a rest while the other guy goes. And this was, you know, just... Like first off, it was a dream come true. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm I'm sitting there with the biggest smile on my face and just talking trash too. So like if I get my hand on a ball, like I'm letting them know, like, oh, got that one. You're not, you're not getting that past, you know, whatever, Rondo or whoever was a, a a good defensive guard in 2011 that would pop into my head. So I just kind of started talking a little stuff to them, and then they would start talking back and you know, uh, I can't remember which one, but I definitely took a, a elbow to the chest at one point uh, <laughs> for maybe talking too much. And in my head, I was like, maybe I should dial back. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should dial the, back. The, the trash talk here a little bit. But we went, honestly, for like a full two, two and a half hours, like nonstop, like just kept going, going, going. And I was thinking in my head, like, holy crap, these dudes are in amazing shape. Now, this also happened to be probably the the peak mo physical shape i've ever been and i will never get to that level again because that's all i did during the lockout was just work out and so that was like my very best conditioning i ever was was it we finished this workout and like chauncey and chris are just going nuts like damn that was amazing like oh my god dude you were you were great like that was awesome you know and and stuff and then they walk away to go do their things and like one of our assistant coaches walks up to me uh dean demopoulos and he's just like Hey, bud, that that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You went for two and a half hours 
that was amazing, man. I can't believe this. This is going to be a great year. And he walks away. <laughs> and then I just kind of like look around and I notice that nobody else is on the practice court. And I'm like, okay, now's a good time to collapse. And I just hit the ground exhausted <laughs> and laid there for like 10 minutes. And then the oh, trainer man. walks by later going like, you okay? I was like, no, nah, I, pr- I probably need some oxygen right about now. <laughs> oh my God. But th- that was my introduction to Chris. And, you know, from... From that point on, it's, you know, Chris is just a great dude in general. He he cares about everybody. The thing I loved about it was every time he had a signature shoe drop, you know, it was on everybody's desk, you know, all through the practice facility, the other, the auxiliary office with like sales or whatever, everybody got a pair of shoes waiting for them. Like the day Chris's shoes dropped, Everybody had it waiting for them in their size, ready to roll. And it was just that kind of stuff from Chris that, you know, I always kind of respected. Just like he always took care of everybody around him. And obviously. How, how was it in the depths of the, of the trash talk? How was that? Like in the, in the middle of it? Like how could we see it on TV and stuff? And, and we kind of heard a bit, but Chris is I mean, a different like, listen, dude. <laughs> yeah. They weren't going like that hard at me oh, trash okay. talking or okay, whatever. Okay, like okay. they, I mean, they. They also know, listen, I'm like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, like, this isn't really, uh, you know, they're not really going at anybody of significance, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. and the trash talk I'm talking, it's not like I'm going mad crazy or anything like that. I'm just like, oh, got my hand on that one. That's a steal. Oh, that's a strip, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And just kind of stuff like that. It wasn't like, let's not act like, let me not act like I'm a tough guy or anything like that. Like, that's, it's not the same trash talk I give my boys at Sunday soccer, like, I know I'm in NBA royalty right there with Chauncey <laughs> Billups and Chris Paul. Like, you know, I'm I'm not going crazy with with what I'm saying, and I'm not getting like off the wall. But NBA trash talk does go nuts, uh, yeah. and, and and that goes away uh, awry from time to time, as you could see it from how some guys react to it. But it was probably it's my favorite interaction because it was just the very first, and then just from there, you know, Chris would always ask, always want film, always on top of that stuff. Always had an iPad dedicated to Chris where I would just put, you know, who we're playing, our last game, upcoming opponents and things like that. And I, I would always notice how much he watched and, and that was stuff. Just I, utmost respect for Chris. He's, he's one of my favorite guys really to have worked with. And, and he was one of my favorite players when he was in New Orleans, you know, watching when he came onto the scene. So it, it was always awesome to get a chance to work with him. I want to tack on something else. My, my last interaction with Chris, too. Oh, my second to last. So um, the first game, he's in Houston as a member of the Thunder. I think the Thunder won that game, and he had a great game. So obviously, after the game, everyone wants to talk to him. All the media are away in the away locker room. And if you know how the Thunder do their their PR, they have the players come to the front of the whiteboard. So I come from the Rockets locker room after doing my thing. Uh, I walk in. It's a bunch of media just in a huddle, you know. But Chris is over there by his locker on the other side of the room. He's still dressing up. So I walk in. He turns. Mind you, this is like Chris is all the way by himself, and there's a bunch of like 40 people on the other side. So I walk in. Chris turns. He sees me. So what's up, Kelly? Hey, come here. So I'm like, oh, snap. So I walk over. He gives me like the biggest hug, and he's like, Man, I also want to thank you for everything for for the two years I was here. Uh, I read your piece; it, it was amazing. I loved it. You know, from the bottom of my heart. You know, I tried to call you, but 
I got so busy moving and, and with the family and whatnot, I didn't have time. So here's my number, my new number. Just take it, call me whenever, and we'll talk. Everyone is just looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? And why is he just like talking to Chris like this? But it was so crazy just to see the human side of Chris. And, and I, I've seen this a number of times. What you see on TV and what you hear sometimes is not always true. You know, no, Chris, not at all. Yes, he's a competitor. And, and, and people like that get uber aggressive. But people don't play basketball for every moment of their lives. So just because somebody is <clears throat> a tough guy in the means of a court, you know, he still has a family, he still has friends, he still has a life. You know, nobody is that kind of, no one has that kind of attitude all throughout their life. So it, it's, it was a good thing to see Chris like that. And, and I really cherish those times. Yeah, no, he, he's great. Uh, I was part of the Australian Olympics team in London and Chris was on Team USA. And right after our first game, we, we lose to like Brazil on like a crazy call and, 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 and it really kind of sets us up into where we're in a tough position. But right after that game, our team manager walks in and says, hey, like some dude outside is, is asking for you. And I'm like, who that like, OK, whatever, I'll be out there in a second. And he's like, no, you should probably come outside right now. So I'm like, I think I'm in trouble. I run outside and it's, of course, it's Chris just wanting to say hi and check in on me and see how everything's going wow. while we're in London. He's just like, hey, how's it going? How's everything? He's like, also, you guys got- not, that's a pretty subtle flex uh, for you, Mo, with the Australian national team. <laughs> oh, I got great Olympic stories. I got a ton of them. Uh, we could, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, but the, uh, but Chris was just awesome. It was just cool for him to kind of remember that I was working with the Australian team and to be like, I need to go make sure I check in on Mo. And he was just like, if you need anything, if anything's, you got any issues while you're here, hit me up. Don't worry. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're staying in different places, but like, I, I got you if you need anything. I was like, appreciate it, Chris, man. Good luck tonight and all that stuff. But I just, that, that stuff kind of stayed with me. And mm. you mentioned something that I think is really important is you wrote a great piece, you know, the ode to Chris Paul after he got traded. And I'm telling you folks, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, Man, it's a perfect time to do it. I mean, listen, guys, tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. I mean, there's no games, guys. We haven't had a live game in a week, and it feels like five years, man. I'm going crazy. I don't know about y'all. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, and they're still doing work right now, guys. They're, they're not stopping. They're coming up with great stories, like the one about the Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now, which, you know, is kind of crazy for some tax evasions, I think is, is the case. Uh, or how Todd Gurley and the Rams ended up going sideways. And then, of course, you got to read about Kelly's ode to Chris Paul. I mean, it goes perfectly with this episode. It's almost like the companion piece, Kelly. These people got to jump in and they got to read this stuff. It's during times like this that The Athletic can help you connect with teams, with the athletes, with the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creative reporting and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash Brody and the Beard, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but that doesn't mean the stories are stopping. There's a ton of great stuff out there. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend you subscribe. You can't go wrong, folks. Go there now. Kelly, let's, I'm sure people are tired of hearing our stories and us <laughs> wax and wane about Chris Paul um, and all that stuff. But let's, let's kind of go a little bit into 
you know, what he meant for the Rockets and and really what it meant in this this Rocket Warrior series going into it. You talked about it, your first interaction, Chris Paul Day. I mean, the the this was a big moment where everybody was like, wow, the, the Rockets have a chance now to contend against the Warriors. You know, covering that first season, what did that feel like? Yeah, it was it was it was incredible to see from afar just the intricacies of of a team trying to take down you know Goliath. I've, everyone knows that the Warriors are head and shoulders above the rest, but that Chris Paul trade kind of signaled to the NBA that the Rockets weren't going to just back down and open the door for for. And I, I love that. I love that. Like Daryl wasn't just going to sit back; he was going to go at the king. Yeah, and people like people have almost made it into a ridicule that the Rockets lost to to those teams over the years, but they fought. Like, it wasn't like they just laid down and just said, oh, yeah, you can go to the finals. Like, it was actually a battle. And, and I think Chris being there was kind of the biggest reason why they were able to push them for so long because, you know, obviously the way Mike D'Antoni staggered his lineups, he wanted to have Chris with the second unit against, you know, the Warriors bench, which wasn't, in 2018, it wasn't, you know, at, at its peak. Those were the pockets of the games where you wanted Chris and those guys to kind of close the gap, keep hard and fresh off the bench, or maybe extend the lead. And I think that was a, a big reason why the Rockets won 65 games that year. One of the reasons why th- that series actually went to seven games. Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, he was a beast in that series to begin with. I mean, I think game five was the most important game he played as a Rocket. But really, just his numbers in that series, you know, in the five games he played, averaged 19.8 points, shot 40% from the field, 37% from three, had 6.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists. You know, like that's pretty damn impressive, you know, for a guy and, and, and of his size, having almost seven rebounds in a playoff series is pretty damn tough to pull off. And, you know, he was a beast in that series altogether. And this wasn't really Harden's best series. You know, he struggled from shooting from deep and and things like that. And some of that was the Warriors defense keying in on him and and things like that. And I think that's really kind of where Chris Paul... I think where people all, often get confused in this series is this wasn't a great basketball series, like in terms of games being played. It was more of an emotional thing. Um, you saw the frustrations of... of the Because the Warriors actually weren't even playing their brand of basketball at one point. They were just isolating because the Rockets switched everything. They wanted to get Kevin Durant the ball in the post. And if it was Eric Gordon, if it was Chris Paul, if it was P.J. Tucker or James Harden, they wanted an easy basket. But the Warriors played into the Rockets' hands, and that's kind of another reason why the series went on for so long. Now, Chris Paul was the guy who kind of brought the swagger and the snarl, kind of what you see now with Russ, but it was a different scale. It was Chris... You know, with a long history with the Warriors, like you were there right. with the Clippers. Oh, uh, we can get into that. I mean, <laughs> I mean that rivalry. That's where this stuff, a lot of this stuff, kind of stems from. You yeah. know, in terms of from for Chris, because look, we beat them in a playoff series in a seven game series. That was this was the Donald Sterling yeah the series, oh, very emotional. This was um, we had uh, uh, I'm not even, I mean, it's been reported, but we had like a little mini. You know, all the secret tunnel stuff that was talked yeah. about during, when CP was with the Rockets? Yep. Well, the Warriors found that first uh, and, and, and almost tried to, you, you know, we almost had a little mini altercation 
uh, never got it that heated or anything like that. But after game seven, like, you know, there was animosity there. And for the Clippers and, and for Chris Paul, like, we were next, right? The, I mean, the Warriors rose out of nowhere, but we had next. Like, we were supposed to be the, the next contenders, the next team that's supposed to go to the finals or whatnot. And the Warriors kind of just took that title from the Clippers, took that from Chris. There's a rivalry between CP and Steph. That you know it carries into Game Five. You even will even get into that, but like that stuff really kind of built up. So him going to the Rockets was almost like the Rockets are like, oh look, one of our enemies is joining up with another one of our enemies to try to take us on. Like okay, you know, and that was kind of the Warriors sort of bravado behind it. Like they were ready to rock with this. I mean, this was an emotional series. You, you yeah. were right on to call it that way. I mean, the basketball wasn't always pretty. But you were right on in that sense of this had a lot of emotion behind it. Like even going back to game one, you see Draymond Green kind of hit Harden in the neck after, and it was like five to zero, something like that. And he, it was just an intense battle, just emotionally, because the Warriors didn't want to let up. The Rockets had won 65 games, and they were, they were the number one seed. And those first four games, the Rockets kind of dropped game one. They actually could have been down 3 1 heading into. Obviously, the pivotal game five that we're going to get into later, but they came back and won game four. And it was just, I'm, man, like if you go back to that series and just go watch those games, just listen to the crowd. The crowd was oh. insane. Like, because the city was fully invested in that team. JJ Watt was there. Justin, like, it was a time when people in Houston actually thought that this team could go all the way. And yeah, I mean, let's let's just let's go into game five. We've yeah. we've danced around it a little bit. And you're right. That's the first thing I've noticed right off the bat. I was like, damn, you couldn't hear, I couldn't hear anything. Yeah. The Rockets crowd was engaged. And let's be honest. They're not always like I'm not trying to take shots or anything like that, but the they're not always in their seats to start a game. They're not always doesn't seem it's always that loud or anything like that. No, but but I'm series, telling you, every every seat there wasn't an empty seat in the house. I don't think so. I think it was and, so and were and were loud. Like yeah. it wasn't even like just sitting there to watch a game. They were screaming. You could feel it, and you could feel the intensity. Just rewatching it kind of gave me tingles, you know, of it. And and this being game five, the series is tied two two. You know, everybody knows how pivotal that game five yeah. is. And and to be honest, it felt like a game seven, just how intense the crowd was. And I was I was very impressed. That was kind of my very first impression there. And even it feeling like a game seven, you can almost feel the tenseness in the players as well. Like the Rockets didn't shoot the ball well to start the game, missed their first six threes. I mean, the Warriors are throwing the ball every which way. I mean, they damn near decapitated, you know, JJ Watts head on one play. (laughs) I I mean, like you know, at one point they were like four for eighteen from three, the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, it was just—it was just—it was brutal. It was an ugly first half. I mean, you know, it—it it, it just kind of got you. Just looked at it, going like, "Damn, this is ugly." It was real playoff basketball. That's what it was like. It, it was not pretty at all. And, and, and you, how did how did it feel though when you're covering that? Wow, how did it feel being there? Um, even from my elevated seat, I think at the time I was still sitting in the press box. The energy was through the roof, literally, like. Every play, every dribble of the basketball, people are screaming because you can you can kind of see the way the series was going, the way that the comebacks were happening and and emotions were tilted. Whoever won Game Five pretty much had a, a head start into Game Seven if there was going to be a Game Seven. You know, 
And you could tell that the Rockets were up big early. Um, the crowd was getting into it. Harden wasn't having his greatest game, but Clint was having a great game. And and th- this is another another part of the Chris Paul thing. How Chris Paul actually made Clint Capella a lot of money. <laughs> um, oh yeah, he did. He, he's made a lot of guys money over his career. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think from his game, from his standpoint, he kind of played the role of steadying the ship. Um, right. This is off the heels of, of course, the the crazy game five he had against Utah. You know, actually getting to the conference finals for the first time in his career. But he was arguably the best player in that series, Chris was. And that game five, um, everyone remembers it for the big moments. Of course, the, the double pump three over, uh, I think, David West. The camera yeah. pans to J.J. Watt and Justin Timberlake going crazy. Um, the shimmy game. as, as that's, yeah, this is, that's my favorite <laughs> part. That was my favorite part. I mean, first off, let's just, like, CP doesn't make a shot in the first half. He's 0 for 7. He's struggling. He has a couple of assists. He's doing all right. The the Warriors have come back. You're, you know, they have a big lead, but the Warriors come back and the game's tied at halftime at 45. And CP goes berserk in the third quarter before the before we even get to the double pump on on David West. I mean, he just goes completely nuts. He hits, you know, three threes. Like he's going, he, he's unconscious at this point. He's you can kind of just feel him, like you say, kind of like steadying the ship. And and this is the thing I always say about great players and and the really, the true, true great ones know when it's like, oh, I got to put you guys on my back. Like, I got to take care of this right now. And he's looking around going like, we ain't going down quietly. And he he just goes nuts in the third quarter. And my God, the, the, the shimmy, he hits a three and then just runs down court and just shimmies in Steph's face. And Chris Paul going into the body of Steph Curry. And a little uh, shitty answer <laughs> from Chris to Steph. And Steph was laughing. <laughs> Steph starts laughing. I'm dying when I saw this again. I forgot all about that. I completely forgot. I got to the point that I made my own gif of it so that I have that in my back pocket here. Every now and then I'm just throwing that out on Twitter. That is by far one of the funniest things I had ever seen. I was dying, man. Like you said, he just took control of the whole game as a whole. Like he. It didn't matter who was guarding him. He's going to get to the basket. He's going to get to his spots. And I remember this thing Chris told me before. And it was, it was even more surprising considering how that game was going. But he said at the end of the day, he's going to get to his spot. He wants the mid-range three. I mean, he wants the mid-range look. He doesn't want the three. And I think that's kind of re- the reason why in the end, you know, these guys were the separate ways because their ideologies were just so different. That game, I mean, I, I don't know. It was... <laughs> It's it so crazy a, to think it, about if you go back and rewatch it, just seeing how the emotions tilted, how Chris was going in and out. It was crazy. It was crazy to be yeah, there. Yeah, no, I mean, you could feel it. Like, you could feel the, you can feel Chris going, saying, like, I got to get, we need a bucket. I'm going to go get us a bucket. And that's the kind of thing that was special about Chris in that sense that he was able to go ahead and just say, like, hey, like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Oh. And, Go ahead, whatever you I, remember. I remember something. I remember something. Okay, because so I'm downstairs um, getting uh, some water in the media room, and I come outside. Like, three fans got arrested. <laughs> I remember because it was, it was so disorderly. When I tell you, people were going nuts in that place. Like, people were ready to fight. It was just a crazy time. And I think that was right when the moment when um, I think EG hits that big three okay. to put him up four. 
Yeah. You're right. They, they, right. Go, they, they, go, they go up four. And I'm coming back out and I'm seeing the cop and the other cop downstairs. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I hear that people got arrested for disorderly conduct. <laughs> it was a zoo. It was a zoo. It, it was, it was, it was it, it's nuts, dude. And, and you know, the thing is like CP goes nuts, you know, basically that whole second half, he goes in the fourth quarter, like on three straight possessions, attacks David West. And, you yeah. know, that's where we get the double clutch thing where you, you're yeah. right. J.J. Watts and Timberlake they are going nothing, nuts they, on they the could side. They could not stop him. David West was on an island. Yeah. <laughs> that shot had no business going in, by the way. Nope. That thing. Yeah. <laughs> Up against Even the, the shimmy shot, shot had no business going in. The shimmy shot <laughs> yeah. had no business going in. I mean, these things were these were crazy. He was. He was Woody Harrelson from White Men Can't Jump, just screaming like, I'm in the zone, man. I got this. I'm feeling good. And he was feeling great. And he was just going, he's just having an awesome half. Seven points in the fourth quarter after 11 in the third, you know, and he, he, he just 18 in the second half, six to 12 shooting, four or six from three. I mean, he really took over the game. And then you see, and then you see, you know, the, the injury. Yeah, and then I mean it's like let's I'll, let's I can set it for you just because I haven't watched it. It was really in my mind, you know. He has Quinn Cook on him. There's a, about a minute left. He's driving down the lane, and it's a big possession. I think they're up one. The Rockets are up one at this point. He's driving down the lane, and he's he takes a floater. But as he's going up for the floater, you can kind of see it in his face. He feels something as he goes up, and that's where he strains his right hamstring. And man. I saw that and my heart just immediately dropped. Chris Paul is down. Chris Paul is hurt. He's not going to come out the game. He did not pass half court on that last play, knowing it was a desperation play. He is hurt. Like I remember watching that live and 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 that dropping. And the thing that's crazy is, you know, I just kind of was getting worried about his minutes to begin with throughout that whole series. I mean, you look at Game four, he's playing 41 minutes, you know, and, and the Rockets have only gone to basically a seven-man rotation, you know, so there's not a lot of rest for him and stuff. And you can kind of just feel like he was given everything he had and just his body finally gave out on him. Yeah, because I think in the in the months prior, he was at, I think, 31 minutes a game, and it just went right up. And I remember the minute it happened, us on the media road didn't even realize what had happened at, at the time of it. It was only a few minutes later that, that it was revealed that Chris is actually you know, hurt. And I remember at practice the next day, I'm standing right at the bottom of the, of the, the walkway, and I'm seeing Chris walk with um, P.J. Tucker and, and Irv, and he's kind of walking gingerly. There's like this big letdown in the, in the room, like, oh, man, Chris is not going to be able to, he might not be able to go game six or game seven. Because if, if it's a great, I remember everyone trying to see if it was a grade one, a grade two, right. a grade three, and people playing doctor on Twitter and just trying to see how long, if there was any kind of treatment available that could possibly let him play, even if it was at a 50% level or, or a 30% of himself. And I remember just thinking, damn, like a great series just cut short because of an injury in the, the last moments of a game. Injuries in, in 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 sports, obviously, there's such a thin line between healthy and not. Just the way a game is played, right? I, I think that someone told me this before, and saying that if he hadn't gotten hurt, then he might have got hurt the next game, or he might have got hurt at home or something. But it was such a thin line between a championship and not. And I think that injury, 
you'll go back and look at it 20 years, 30 years from now and say, that was a team that had a shot to win it all, but they got cut short by injuries. Like, it, was, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was unfortunate. I mean, and, you know, we listen, we know what happens next. The yeah. The Rockets lose game five, uh, game six. They lose game seven. Um, Dude, I remember game that. six. I remember game six. <laughs> Sorry about this. But my, go for it, my, go my editor at the time, it's halftime. I think the Rockets are up big. They're up like big. 15. They're up big on them. They're and, up, and, they're, yeah. And my editor is already telling me to get ready to write about the Rockets going to the finals. And I'm thinking, are they about to pull it off? But then, you know, the Warriors third quarter in Oracle happens and the flurry of threes and they just and they collapse and they come back home and we know the story, so we don't have to get into it. <laughs> I mean I mean I mean just 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 to just to kind of recap game six, they only scored twenty five points in the second half. Yeah, it was you, you know, they were they were I mean it the shots it, just dried up. And only four four or only nine points in the fourth quarter. Like that just and that kind of carries over into Game seven, and and we know how that goes. We obviously know how in, in game seven, like yeah. And I think this, and I think this injury is really kind of what carried over to the next yeah. season as well, right? Yeah, and that's where, and I think that's where the the I, I don't want to say rift, but I think that's where the, the separation the, the problems it, began to yeah. happen a little bit I because so I think you know we it, it, it was just apparent that like yo Chris can't go you know, the 40 minutes that they need him to go every night, um, you know, in the playoffs and things like that. And I think that's where this stuff began to, to kind of trickle in here a little bit and, and eventually kind of led to ultimately the trade for Russ. And I think, you know, honestly, listen, at the time I didn't like it, you know, now with the moves they've made and, and, and basically gone to this ultra micro small ball, it makes sense. And Russ has been phenomenal this year. I'm sure we'll do a Russ episode here pretty soon. But I think that's kind of where this, you know, it, it ended up working out for both teams. Obviously, the the Thunder are are were having a really good year, um, and Chris Paul was really kind of the his steady hand is really a big key behind that. So I think that was really interesting in that sense. What what are some of your lasting sh- thoughts of that team, that series, uh, and 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 Chris in general? Uh, what if? Uh- I, I I genuinely think, or oh, do you mean 2018 or 2019? 2018. Okay, 2018. Yeah, it was it was whatever. Or 2019 or whatever, Kelly. Whichever you feel like, bud. Well, if you want to keep it, if you want to keep it a bean, 2019. I think that was more embarrassing than 2018. Even missing uh, 27 threes in a row. You know, even though that's a something that's like lightning hitting you. I think 2019 was worse given the circumstances. You know, Kevin Durant goes down. Uh, they had actually come back in the game at, at that game. Uh, what was it? Five? Yeah. Game, game five. five. Yeah. They actually came back in the game. They had a chance to. And Oracle Arena at this point is dead silent. I remember being there. It was You could hear a pin drop over there. The Rockets were back in the game. They took control of the, of the, of the building and they ultimately fell short. And Chris didn't even play well in that, in that series until game, until game six where he went crazy in game six. And, right. you know, down the stretch, they get killed by Draymond Green, Steph Curry, pick and roll. You know, Steph catches fire, Clay catches fire. Bada bing, bada boom. But, you know, 2018 was always going to be a, a what if year because that would have been the cherry on top. Just getting to the finals, they would have played the Cavs, I think. They probably beat them. Yep. Because be that's I don't know. It would be an interesting series. I don't know. 
I, I think they'll beat them. I think it might it might have been a six or seven game series, but I don't think it, some people are saying it would have been a sweep. That's not true. Uh, yeah, no. Um, that, team, that Cavs team was pretty good. Um, um, but it would have been interesting for sure just to see Harden back again against LeBron again in the finals. CP's first. It would have been CP's CP, first finals. So many storylines, and it would have been a chance right. for re- redemption almost. Even so many things you could have written, Kelly. So many um, things you could have written. It would have been some great stories, but you know, it, it never, it never happened. But everything happens for a reason, you know. And uh, that team molded into the the Carmelo saga. You know that they come out the gate eleven fourteen. They're slow. Chris gets hurt, and I'm thinking in Miami because I'm in I'm in Miami like when Chris Paul got hurt. I'm thinking the wheels about to come off this damn thing. <laughs> to be right. honest. Um, but James taps into some crazy bag. He goes on oh, the 32 man. point. Jesus Christ. And he, <laughs> he carries them. I think from that moment on, that from 11 and 14, they ended up finishing the year 42 and 15. Yeah. Because they won 50, yeah, they won 53 games. Yeah. I, I just remember that Chris Paul just being the whole reason for James's ascension. And when he comes back, I think that's kind of where the riff started. And not even a riff, it's just like different. They're just different people. They wanted yeah. different things. They wanted to play the game different ways. So I think rift is the wrong term, but it's just a, a, a difference. Chris yeah. wanted to do things his way, and James wanted to do things his way. And that game six, they got desperate because they were looking at a, another loss in the face, potentially. So that's when, you know, when this proverbial shit hits the fan and, and you try and James wanted to do his thing and Chris wanted, you know, it was just a difference of, of, of ideas and opinions. And I think that's what it ultimately ultimately led to because now you see him and James are fine. Like off the, like they're fine. It's not, there's no beef between them. There's no bad blood. You know, I was around, yeah, them, no. I was around them at Dwayne Wade's um, celebrity. Yeah, they're fine. So it's, it's, it was just a, a basketball game that they lost and a team went one way and he went the other way. I thought. The, the only thing I have about it is I wished they didn't overreact after yeah. they lost that that second last year basically after they lost last year in the playoffs because you know I, I I understand the moves they made I understand why they made them and why they had to part of me also wonders though if they could have found a way to really kind of just get on the same page and maybe that was impossible and it's something that could have just never happened I obviously I don't know but just seeing that the the feeling was, you know, KD's leaving the Warriors, they're going to be a step back. Like, I honestly felt like if they just were well, the state put, a little, yeah. stayed put and just waited this out a little bit, yeah. you know, I think the rust trade might have always been there, it, you, you know, or at least later in the summer if they really felt like they couldn't have figured it out. But, you know, a lot of stuff happened in the summer besides just trading CP, you know, the, the, the assistant coaches a lot of the assistant coaches not coming back. Um, D'Antoni not getting a, a contract extension and things like that. Like a lot of stuff happened this summer where I think like if they had played it maybe a little bit differently, they would have been in a different situation going into this season and and would have been probably the favorites going into the season because um, you would have had the argument of they have continuity. They, they know each other. They've been together for two years now. They're going into their third all these other teams have to figure out how to gel and and whatnot. I think it would have been it would have made for an interesting case to see what would have happened for the the Rockets. Look, made their decisions. They found a way to make 
Westbrook work, you know, and 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 really unleash him and stuff. And I think that's been a really enjoyable uh, this past season to get to watch as well. So, you know, it, it's a lot of what ifs that we're never going to know the answers to. I think people who look back on this whole Chris Paul time should should see it in a positive light. You know, he did take the franchise to, you know, 65 wins and, you know, the closest a lot of people who have watched the team now have seen of NBA Finals, you know, glory. You know, and... Right. And, and I don't think just because, you know, it ended poorly, you know, at home in front of the fans, it doesn't mean... It doesn't, it doesn't throw away two years of, you know, of success. And uh, yeah. I think with Russ, it's a shift, but it doesn't mean... Like when people look at NBA trades, they always look at who won and who lost, you know. And, and the, the 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 general rule of thumb is whoever got the best player in the deal wins the trade. But I think this is one of the rare trades in NBA history that there wasn't really any real loser. I don't I don't think. I think Chris is in a good situation, and so is Russ. So I think people who talk about that era and talk about the move should always look at it in that you know in that aspect. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's no shame in losing to the Warriors. Look, they're three-time champs, five times to the finals. Like, it's it's like, you know, really killing the, the New York Knicks for constantly losing to the Bulls, right? Like, it, it, just not – sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it. I appreciate that the Warriors – or excuse me, that the Rockets continue to fight and continue to not lay down, which was which was pretty awesome. So, I think that's it for this episode. Again, guys, make sure to check out The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Brody and the Beard for 40% off. Make sure you listen to, uh, I'm sorry, make sure you read Kelly's Ode to Chris Paul. Consider it like a companion piece to this podcast. Uh, We all know you got time. We all got time. (laughs) You guys have any suggestions on what you want to hear from us or or what you want us to maybe dive into? Shoot us a tweet. We'll we'll take a look at it and, and we'll see if we can do it. But for Kelly Eco, for Sasha Shaw, for me, Mo DeKeel, we out. <laughs> <laughs>